we are going to continue on today in our um, series through the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible, you can grab that and turn to John chapter 20. And so we've been walking together through the Gospel of John for about a year and a half now. Uh, and can you believe it? We're only about two weeks away from being done. I'm about two weeks away. I hope that you have been as, as blessed as I have uh, been in, in our study together. It's been a really sweet time uh, looking into the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Um, what, what, we've, what we've wanted to do from all the way back from day one, as you'll remember, is we've, we've wanted to uncover the identity and the mission of Jesus Christ, really come to grips with who is this Jesus and what did he come to accomplish. And I feel like over the last year and a half, we've kind of covered that, haven't we? we we've kind of comprehensively answered those two questions. We, we've seen who Jesus is. Jesus didn't just come claiming to be, uh, you know, some mere prophet, some, you know, moral teacher, some, some uh, uh, just inspiring historical figure. Jesus came on the scene claiming to be God in the flesh. He claimed to be the very son of God. And, and he also said what he came to do. From very early on in his ministry, he made it very clear that he came with one singular mission in mind. He came to die. Jesus Christ, the, the, the son of God, took on flesh that he might be pierceable, that he might make himself vulnerable, that he might make himself killable. Why? Well, because the, the, the scriptures tell us that uh, humanity, men and women, have, we have turned our back on God. We have rebelled against God. We have sinned. And therefore, the, the wages of our sin, the Bible says, is death. Separation from God for eternity. So Jesus Christ came. He took on flesh and he took that death for us. He died that death on our behalf. He paid the penalty that belonged to you and to me. This is why he came. So we've covered that over the last year and a half. And excuse my uh, scratchy throat a little bit. Um, but he, we've covered that. There's one question, though, that I, that I don't think that we've really probably talked ad, uh, about adequately enough. And I want to just start our time by just discussing that. We've talked about the who. We've talked about the what of Jesus. But what about the why? Why did he do it? Why, why did Jesus live the life that he did? Why did Jesus die the death that he died? Why did God set this plan into motion? And you could go all over the scriptures and you could find the same answer to that question. But I'll just give you one passage of scripture. We also find it in the book of John. It's a verse we know and love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him will not perish, would not perish, but have eternal life. That's why he did it. That's why God set that plan into motion is that we might have eternal life. But what does that mean? Surely it means more than just a duration of days, Right? Jesus didn't come and live the life he did and die the death he died so that you and I could have an unlimited number of days. That's not what eternal life is. It's, that's part of it, but it's so much more than that. He's not just talking quantity. It's also quality. Jesus, in John 17, he's praying to the Father. He actually tells us what eternal life is. He's praying to the Father. The disciples overhear him, and, and, and Jesus says this to the Father. He says, this is eternal life. He defines it. This is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. That they know you, the one true God. That's what eternal life is. This is why Jesus came. This is, this is why Jesus came and died the death he died. That you and I might know God. So here's the deal. I'm going to let you in a little bit on what's been going on in my heart and mind uh, recently. In one sense, because I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ. He is my only hope for salvation. I have trusted him with my very life. So in one sense, I know God. I know God through Jesus Christ. In another sense... I don't know God nearly to the degree that I want to know him. Does anybody else feel that way? I don't know him even close to the amount uh, that, that, I, that I would like to know him. And listen, listen if you were to tell that to, to some folks, they're going to tell you, well, yeah, you know, it's, 
you, it's because you haven't had this one experience. It's because you're, you're lacking faith. Hope, all right, maybe you're not a Christian. You're not content in your relationship, your, the intimacy that you have with God. You know, it's a, that's a sign of immaturity. You know what Paul said? In Philippians chapter three, Paul says that, he says, because I, Paul says, I'm, not gonna, I'm no longer gonna place my faith in, in my accomplishments and my qualifications. I'm gonna place my faith in, in Jesus Christ. And in, in, in doing so, he says, I'm gonna be able to know God and the power of his resurrection. He says, because I place my faith in Jesus, I can know God and the power of his resurrection. But you know what he says right after that? He says, not that I've already obtained this. I've already, you know, you know, made it my own, but I press on toward the goal. I strive towards the goal to take hold of that which is mine in Christ Jesus. In other words, I've placed my faith in Jesus. I know God. Paul writes the book of Philippians like 20-some years after he places faith in Jesus. Okay? I know God because I placed my faith in Jesus. But I'm not there yet. There's, some, there's more. I'm striving for more. It's not immaturity. Paul's no JV Christian. If anybody's varsity, it's Paul, right? <laughs> You know what he says right after that? You know, he says, he says, I know God, but oh, I want more. I'm striving for more. I'm pressing on toward the goal, which is to take hold of that which is mine in Christ Jesus. Right after he says that, he says, any of you who are mature should think that way. If you're mature, that's how you'll think. I know God, but oh, I want more. And, and the, the principle is this, that the more that you get to know God, the more that your eyes are open to the light of the glory of God, the more that you'll see how infinitely glorious he is and the more that you're going to want of him, the more that you'll see that there is of him to enjoy and to experience. So this is why Jesus came. This is why the Son of God took on flesh. This is why he died, so that you and I might know God and enjoy him and know him more and more progressively, more and more throughout our life on into eternity. That's eternal life. So the question then is, how do you do that? How do, we, how do we grow in our knowledge of God? Not just knowledge about God, knowledge of God, knowledge, intimacy with God. And this might be sound a little anticlimactic, but read your Bible. <laughs> this is how God reveals himself to us. The Holy Spirit takes God's very word where he reveals it, and he helps us you know, unpack it, and help us to know the character of God and be able to submit our lives to him that much more. This is why we study the scriptures here together every single week. This is why we're constantly encouraging everyone here to, to, to make that a regular part of your life, is to feed on the word of God, that you might know him more. But you might be here today, and you might say, well, Philip, every time I go to the scriptures, even when I listen to you, every time I go, it's, it's a little dry, it's a little boring, it feels like I'm kind of coming at the scriptures at arm's length. Um, I, I don't really feel like intimacy growing when I read the scriptures. Honestly, if anything, it just feels like duty. It feels a little archaic. It feels a little distant to me. If, if that's you, if, if that's what you, would, you feel when you come to the scriptures, what I'd like to do today is I'd like to offer you a tool today. We're going to kind of multitask, if you will. All right, so we're going to look at the next five verses in the Gospel of John. We are going to continue on in the, in the John narrative. But what I, the way I want to do that today is by using a format, a tool uh, that, that you can put into practice in your own life at home as you study the scriptures, a tool that will help you not just to kind of come at it and read it kind of from a distance at an arm's length, kind of, you know, looking to glean information, but a, a tool that will help you to come to the scriptures in a way that is transformational, a way that will help you to be able to know the scriptures more. And I didn't make up this tool. I'm borrowing this from Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a 16th century theologian who was known for this, this incredibly intimate connection with the Lord. One of his friends once wrote about him that he would spend no less than three hours a day just in this close prayer with the Lord. 
close communion. He actually, he, he said three, the three most productive hours of the day. He looked at his day and he thought, what's the most, uh, uh, you know, when, when is my mind most alert? When am I most productive? That's what I'm going to devote to prayer. Because he saw that's the most important work that I can do in a day. So for us, if that's like 8 to 11, right? You've had your coffee, you've had your shower, you're in the office, whatever. 8 to 11, that's when he devote to prayer. This is what Martin Luther did. And the friend actually said, I got to actually overhear Martin Luther pray once. He said, it was amazing the kind of faith in this man's words, the amount of intimacy. He said, it was like you have a man who goes to, to a, in front of a holy God, just the, the amount of reverence that was in this man's prayer. And yet, at the same time, the kind of hope that it was in his prayer was like a man coming to his father and his friend. Right, this intimate connection. Well, it, I read a story this week that, that uh, his barber, the guy who shaves him and cut his hair, that his barber once asked Martin Luther, hey, I, I want to have a relationship with the Lord like you have a relationship with the Lord. Can you give me some practical advice on how I can know God more? How can I know God more? Give me some, some practical tips. And so this is what Martin Luther told him. He said, well, what I do is, he said, I, 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 go to the, I take a piece of scripture each day. And I, and I take up my, my, I break up my time in that scripture and into four parts, into four strands. And he said, I, I take, you know, a verse or a few verses or a chapter and, and, I, and I first come at that scripture as if it's instruction. Okay, what, what, is that, what is that passage of scripture, you know, teaching me? What, is it, what does it want me to believe? What does that passage of scripture want me to become? What does that passage of scripture want me to do? I first try to determine the essential content of that scripture, and from that point, then I let that passage in, second, lead me into a, a period of, of thanksgiving and of praise and of worship. Okay, so I spend a couple minutes praising God in light of what I've just learned. And then third, I, I take that passage of scripture and then I let it move me into a time of confession and repentance. I let that scripture kind of lead me into, you know, confessing my need for the Lord, confessing my sins to the Lord. And then finally, I let that passage of scripture move me into a time of petition, presenting my request to God. So he says, instruction, thanksgiving, confession, and, and, and petition. If you're taking notes, write those four things down. Instruction, thanksgiving, uh, uh, confession, and then petition. And so what I'd like to do today is I'd like, if, if perhaps when you're at home and you're reading through the, the, your pastor's scripture and, uh, and it just feels dry, it feels distant, what I want to do is encourage you, take this tool that Martin Luther gives us here and implement this. Take a few minutes when you read that pastor's scripture and try to determine the content of that. What is that passage teaching me uh, to believe, teaching me to do. And then, and then in your time, then start to thank God in light of what he's taught you in that scripture. And then let it move you into a time of confession. And then uh, let it move you into a time of petition, presenting your requests to God. This will help you be able to prayerfully interact with the scriptures in a way that it's not just distant, but helps you to know God more. So we're going to do that today. All right, we're going we're gonna to take the next five verses of John and just very quickly, we'll go a little bit faster than normal today. Um, we'll break down the essential content. And then what we're going to do is we're going to take a few minutes and we're just going to move into a, a brief period of thanksgiving, confession, and petition. Okay, we're going we're gonna to multitask. We're Silicon Valley. We can do this, right? We're multitaskers. So, so this is a tool you can take home. We'll practice it today. And then we'll, as well as we'll, we'll get through the next five verses of the narrative. All right, so let's begin by, by looking at John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. And again, the, the, our, our first task of the, of, the, of the morning then is to come at it as if it's instruction, okay? What is the essential content of the text? Let's begin by reading here. Verse 19 of chapter 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, <clears throat> the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. And said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. 
Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We ask, God, that you would open our hearts to your truth and to your grace. Father, as we look at the, the person and work of, of Jesus Christ, as you have revealed, us, uh, revealed him to us here in John chapter 20, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would compel us now to learn, to, to worship, to repent, and to trust you with our very lives. We submit ourselves to you, God. Help us to know you more. We know that that's what this has been all about, is that we might know you and grow in our knowledge of you. Help us today to know you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So verse 19, back up, verse 19 says that this takes place, this whole event takes place on the evening of that day, that day, the first day of the week. So in other words, he's continuing on from what we just read, you know, earlier in chapter 20. This is still resurrection day. That very morning, uh, Jesus had appeared uh, to Mary outside of the empty tomb. And since then, the other gospels tell us that that word has begun to spread that Jesus is alive. Jesus has risen. The tomb is empty. And, and so now it's evening time, and the disciples, we're told, are all huddled together in a room. They're, they're in, uh, uh, you know, behind locked doors. You can imagine just how frightened they must have been as word is beginning to spread that this Jesus movement has not been squashed. They're, they can just, uh, you know, are waiting at any moment. The, the Romans or the, the Jews are going to come bursting through the doors to, to, to double their efforts and try to squash this Jesus movement once and for all. So their di- disciples are huddled together in fear. But it was not the Romans that appeared in the room. It was not the Jews that appeared in the room. It was Jesus. And what's the very first word that Jesus says to his disciples? Peace. He says, peace be with you. And we know that that's a uh, traditional Jewish greeting, peace be with you. But can I tell you, I can say this with absolute confidence. Jesus is not just saying hello to the disciples. He's not just greeting the disciples. And can I tell you why I know that? Because he says it twice. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And you know, in that, in that culture and in those languages, when you double a, sta- a, a word or you double a, a phrase, it's to, it's to increase the emphasis. It's to, to, uh, uh, to multiply its, its meaning, right? It's to emphasize it. So Jesus says, peace, peace be with you. And when the Hebrews say peace be with you, it's not just like they're, uh, you know, saying, you know, wishing one another, well, I hope everything's going well. You know, some kind of general sense of like a good feeling. And when they say peace be with you, they're not saying, well, man, I hope there's no conflict. I hope everybody's getting along. I hope everybody's, you know, there's peace between you. When, when they say peace be with you, that's the, the Hebrew concept of shalom. Shalom. And if you're not familiar with the biblical concept of shalom, let me tell you what it means. I like Neil Plantiga's uh, definition. He said, in the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed all under the ark of God's love. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. And this is the blessing that Jesus gives to his disciples when he comes in the room that night. He says, shalom. And then he says it again, shalom. In other words, it's come. God's kingdom is here. God's kingdom has come. All of God's blessings are being poured out on you. And you know, the first thing I noticed as I began studying this passage this week, the very first thing that I noticed is what he does between those two statements. Did you catch that? He says, peace be with you. And then he does something. And then he says, peace be with you again. What does he do? Does he give him a Bible quiz? (laughs) Shalom. 
you, you've, you've heard enough of my teaching. You, you've learned enough doctrine. You, you've learned how to pray. You've learned how to care for the poor. You've learned enough. You've earned it. Good job, guys. You finally made, you graduated. Well done. Shalom. All of God's blessings are poured out on you. Well done. No, he says, shalom. Look at my wounds. Look at my piercings. Look at my side. Shalom. In other words, God's blessings are being poured out, not because of what the disciples have done or what the disciples have learned. It's because of what Jesus has done. Shalom has come because of Christ, not because of you or me or any of the disciples. And note again that John tells us it's the, it's the, first, day, it's the first day of the week. It's, it's Sunday. Um, something that's really fascinating to me, and this, by the way, just boggles the minds of secular historians who, who, notice, who, who note this and yet who do not believe in the resurrection. Do you know that from this point forward, because of the significance of that uh, day when Jesus rose again from the dead and he declared shalom, he declared peace on earth, the followers of Jesus changed their day of worship from Saturday to Sunday. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the Jews had, had seen Saturday as this unbelievably sacred day. It was their Sabbath day. It was their day of rest, their day of worship. And then all of a sudden, in the first century, from, from this point onward, it moves to Sunday. Because they saw the significance of what Jesus had done. The apostles realized that their true rest, their true Sabbath, their spiritual rest came when Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. He is our rest. He is our Sabbath. We said this uh, a couple weeks ago that, that this is what is so drastically different about the teachings of Christianity. Every other religion, every other major religion out there is going to tell you that if you want to be accepted by God, if you want to find salvation, if you want to have the blessings of God, if you want to achieve nirvana, whatever, you've got to work. You've got to work for it. You've got to be disciplined. You've got to be self-controlled. You've got to have the moral strength. You've got to have the moral fortitude. It's summed up so well in, in what was said to be Buddha's last words. We don't... We think that this is supposedly what Buddha's last words were. He said, strive without ceasing. Strive without ceasing. But Jesus here shows up and says, cease striving. He is our rest. Jesus, all who, who, are, who, are, who labor and who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and you will find rest, peace. And the disciples get it and they change their day of worship to Sunday. That's their day of rest now. That's their day of worship because they see the significance of what Jesus has done as he cries out, shalom. That night, though, he not only offered the disciples peace, he also offers the disciples purpose. As soon as Jesus says, peace be with you for the second time, he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Even so I'm sending you. So do you, do you see what that means? We talk about this all the time here. When God, when God blesses us with an experience of grace, we immediately become people on mission. If God is going to bring you in to bless you, he will immediately send you back out to be a blessing. You see this all throughout the scriptures, don't you? When, when God chooses Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you a great nation, he, he immediately says, that you might bless others, that, that, that all nations might be blessed through you. When, when he chooses Moses and he's talking to him in the burning bush, he says, I've chosen you, Moses. He immediately says, now go, go to Pharaoh. When, when Isaiah is, is at the temple and, and he's got the vision of God and he, he's purified by the burning coal, immediately he's sent out on a mission to go and preach to a people that will never, ever, ever listen to him. When, when, the, when Jesus heals the man who's got the many, many demons in him, he's got the legion of demons inside of him, the man wants to come and follow Jesus. He wants to come and listen to the teachings and see the miracles and just bask in the presence of, of Jesus. And Jesus says, no, go home and tell your friends and your family what God has done for you. Or, or think about that very morning. 
When, when uh, Mary finally sees Jesus for who he is, he's not the gardener, he's Jesus. She comes and she runs and hugs him. And Jesus, Jesus says, you know, don't cling to me. He kind of says, Mary, stop clinging to me. You know, I, I, I love you, Mary. My, my Holy Spirit's going to be with you. My presence will always be with you. But right now you need to go and tell the disciples what you have seen and what you have heard. In other words, Mary just wanted to come and hold him. She just wanted to cuddle with him, just kind of be in his presence. And, and Jesus kind of like, Mary, I love you, but we've got work to do. I love you, but we've got work to do. Somehow, though, I think we've missed this. In Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Life, he, he references a survey that says that 89%, 89% of church members believe that the church's purpose is to take care of my needs and those of my family. 89%. Say that the church's purpose is to take care of my needs and those of my family. Only 11%, he says, say that the purpose of the church is to win the world for Jesus Christ. Somehow we have bought into the lie that God has come into this world to meet our agenda. And I hope this isn't a newsflash, for I recognize most of you, because you've been here for a long time, I hope this isn't news to you. God has not come into this world to meet your agenda. He has come to, to lift you up into his agenda. God hasn't come and, and, and lived the life that he did and died the death that he died, that he might, you know, help you meet your goals. God has given you a new life that you might meet his goals. He's given you a whole new purpose, a whole new life. And frankly, frankly, uh, if we're honest, our goals aren't that great anyway. Our agenda's not that great anyway. Not in comparison to what he has in store. Our, our agenda basically, uh, this, I can't speak for all of us here, but our agenda basically is uh, to climb up one or two more rungs in the ladder of our career. Um, to buy a, a newer car, to buy a bigger home, to lose 20 pounds, okay? Um, none of those things are inherently bad. But if we think that that's why God has come is to help us lose weight or to help us be able to have some nicer things, we're missing it. We've missed it. God hasn't come to help us meet our agenda. He's lifting up, up into his agenda. And his agenda is infinitely greater than ours. His agenda is to come and, and bring in a whole new world, a whole new kingdom. His agenda is to come and to remove suffering. His agenda is to come and remove injustice and oppression. And friends, if you're a Christian, you're now on the front lines of that. Or you're called to be. You're now a part of that. New cars, new homes, none of these things are bad in and of themselves, but they pale in comparison to the life that God is calling us to. We were made for something so much greater than that. And I think we, I think we understand this. I think we get this to, to some extent. I think every one of us resonate with this, that we were, we were made for something great. We were made for something more. And I think that's why there are so many stories, so many books, so many movies that basically have this same uh, idea, have this, basically all share the same plot line. We, we basically are, are paying, you know, $12 to go see a movie that's be, already been told over and over, just the names and, 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 and dates are changed. But basically, this is what all the, all the greatest movies uh, basically are. There's an ordinary character, nothing too special, uh, you know, just kind of leading a, you know, boring life, kind of walking down the street, and all of a sudden, uh, somehow they say, you know, they're told, you're chosen, You've been chosen, and they're whisked off into this great adventure where they have to go and, and help save the world. Okay? All the greatest movies are, are that way. And so I, I could just, I could list off a whole bunch from Harry Potter. That's the whole premise. Okay? 
just this ordinary kid who is, who is whisked off into this great adventure where he goes and he saves the whole wizarding world. Chronicles of Narnia, the Pevensey children, they're just normal, ordinary children. And, and all of a sudden, they tumble through the wardrobe and they say, no, no, you're kings and queens. And they, lead, they jump to the front lines and they help lead the charts to save Narnia. Right? The Hobbit. Young Hobbit, boring, I don't like adventure. Whisked off into this amazing adventure where he helps the dwarf save the land. Tolkien wrote another one, same exact premise, basically. Right? And he's twice the money. Lord of the Rings. Right? Two young hobbits, boring, whisked off into this adventure where they save Middle Earth. Okay? Um, Luke Skywalker. He can't go to fly off to Alderaan with Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? He's got to help his uncle with the harvest. He's just a poor orphan farm boy, right? He's just an ordinary kid, but he's whisked off into this amazing epic adventure where he goes and he saves the universe. All, all the great movies basically all share the same plot line. Ordinary, average, boring people. We're saying, oh, you've been chosen to be a part of something great, to be a part of some epic adventure where you're going to participate in the saving uh, of the world. This is what we're called into. If God has brought you in to bless you, he's going to send you right back out to be a blessing. This is why we share our faith with people. This is why we are uh, uh, opening up our homes to foster children. This is why we are, we are uh, opening up our time to, to serve with Beautiful Day. This is why we are um, opening up our wallets and we are, we are sharing our resources with, with those who are serving, like the Lapoidevins. This is why we're sharing our resources with those who are, are, are sacrificially uh, serving those all over the world. This is why we, we open up our hearts to, to the women at House of Grace. We've done so for over 10 years. Because, again, our lives are about so much more than just getting the newest car, getting the bigger home. Tim Keller calls God a, a spiritual tornado. He says uh, it, he's, he sucks you right in and he shoots you right back out. I like that. I think that's good. So Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, brings us peace. He brings us a new purpose, but then he also gives us his presence. This is the last thing here. Verse 22. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. This is kind of interesting how he does this. You know, you know Jesus, doesn't have to, um, Jesus doesn't have to breathe on them to, to give them the Holy Spirit. So why does he do that? Jesus could have snapped his fingers. He could have just spoken a word. He could have just willed that they receive the Holy Spirit and it would have happened. Um, but the fact that John tells us that Jesus breathes on the, on the, on the apostles to receive the Holy Spirit, I think that's, that's got to tell us something. That's got to let us know that something significant uh, is being communicated. Um, think about it for a moment. If you were to, to breathe into somebody, if you were to have walked in this door and there's a big commotion and somebody's being breathed into, what's happening? He's, he or she, they're dying, right? They're, they're, they're not breathing. Their lungs are not working properly and there's not breath. And somebody is breathing into them who does have life in them, who does, whose lungs do work properly and who does have breath in them. They're breathing life into them. And what's, what's interesting to me is that this, this, this word breathed here, this ver Greek verb, it's the only time it's used in the New Testament, but it is used in the, the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament. And it's in Genesis chapter 2. After, after God fashions Adam out of dust, he breathes life into him. It's the same word. He breathes life into him. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? As he breathes out the Holy Spirit into these disciples, he's giving them life. He's, he's recreating humanity. He's creating a new humanity. And friends, this is what it means to be a part of the true church of God. 
You guys know this. The church isn't a building, and it's not a time of the week, right? The church isn't 5585 Cottle Road, nor is it Sundays from 10 to 1130, or today 10 to 1140, okay? The the word that's used for church in, in, in the scriptures is ecclesia, and it simply means the called out ones. The called out ones, those who are set apart by by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, whose whose hearts have been changed by the Holy Spirit. Here's why I think this is significant. Because for for three years now, John and Peter and Mary and the rest of the disciples have been listening to Jesus' teachings. For three years, they've heard the claims. For three years, they've seen the, the miracles and the signs. For three years, they have grown in obedience and moral fortitude. They've been able to do some pretty incredible things. But if I'm reading this correctly... Up until this point, they're dead. They have no life in them. Jesus is now breathing life into them. Do you see what this means? It's not enough to believe intellectually. It's not enough to, to uh, have heard the teachings. It's not enough you know, to see great ministry. It's not even enough to do great ministry. If you and I are, are going to experience life and salvation... It can only come through a supernatural uh, uh, breathing out of Jesus. It can only come through a supernatural regeneration by the Holy Spirit. It's not about how much you know. It's not about how much you do. It's about a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. You take John for an example, our gospel writer here. Three days before this, John asks Jesus. Three days before this, Jesus breathes on them, right? Uh, John asks Jesus, he says, hey, when, when you bring in your kingdom, I want to sit right next to you. I want you to put me above everybody else. Give me that position. Give me the power. Give me the control. I want to rule over the other apostles. I want to rule, I want to rule with you. After three years of side-by-side, life-on-life ministry with Jesus himself, he still doesn't get it. But then Jesus breathes life into him. He receives the Holy Spirit. And John is never, ever the same. You know what early church historians say about, about John? Is that when, uh, when uh, he, he gets older, he becomes an elder in the church of Ephesus. And what one early church historian wrote was that when they would, they would bring him up to the front of the church on Sundays when they gathered together to worship, just like we're doing here. They, they, they bring John up, the elder up, up to the, the and they, you know, give him a chance to give kind of a word of exhortation. And, and he would just sit up on this little chair and he'd just rock back and forth and he'd say, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. That was his, that was his message. This, the same man who just days earlier had said, put me above everybody else, Jesus. I want to rule over him. I, I want to be in charge. Not, he, he now lives under a banner of love one another. What happened? Was it because he finally learned enough? Because he would finally had enough experiences, had enough, you know, seen enough, finally, you know, the pieces clicked together? No. It's because Jesus breathed life into him. He had received the Holy Spirit. It's not about moral reformation. It's not even about learning more doctrine. If you and I want to find peace and purpose in God, we need a heart change that can only come by the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's my question to you, just as we wrap up this, this portion of it. Has your spiritual life, has your spiritual life been centered around learning right doctrine and trying to get your act together? Or has your spiritual life been centered around a personal encounter with Jesus Christ? Those are two very different things. 
I'm going to ask it again because I think this is a very important question. Has your spiritual life been centered around just trying to learn more doctrine, get more information, and, and trying to get your act together, trying to be a better person, or is it centered around a personal encounter with Jesus Christ? Through the resurrection, Jesus gives us peace and he gives us purpose and he gives us his presence. I think this is just a snapshot. There's so much more we could talk about, but this is a snapshot of what I think these five verses tell us. So like I said at the, at the outset, what I'd like to do now is I'd like just to take a few minutes and I'd like to interact with the text. I'm gonna invite the band to come on back up and just play quietly over the next few minutes. I like, what I'd like us to do is to, to interact with this text. Ryan, can we throw that passage of scripture back on? What I like to, I'm just going to keep this up here. And over the next couple of minutes, what I'd like to do is I'd like to let what we've talked about t- today, the, the, the peace, the purpose, and the presence that Jesus gives us, i like that to, uh, to move us into a time first of thanksgiving. I'm going to just let us do this just in the quietness of our own hearts. Um, over the next couple of minutes, they play, play quietly. Would you just spend some time reflecting on the scripture? Would you pray for just a couple of minutes? And just, just here's what I do. Keep it to thanksgiving. Just thank God for what he's done. Thank God for what he's given us. Thank God for who he is. Praise him and worship him. And in just a couple of minutes, we'll move on to the next section. Let's thank God together. take a few moments now and let's move into just a time of confession and the quietness of your own hearts in light of what we have just read in John chapter 20 can we just confess uh, maybe confess some sin to the Lord confess our our weaknesses our failings to the Lord in light of what we just read maybe let's confess our dependence upon the Lord Um, perhaps you're here and and you need to maybe confess a a life of self-sufficiency you've been living dependent upon your own efforts dependent upon your own works you haven't been trusting the work of Christ to bring you peace or to give you value or to bring you identity Um, you've been trusting your own efforts confess that to him or maybe you need to confess uh, to him a lack of mission in your life if you're honest you've been living for your agenda confess that to him let's confess our, our sins to the Lord
finally, let's, um, let's move into to a time of petition, a time of bringing our request to God. Um, we, we've looked at John 20 as, as instruction, as, as compelling us to thanksgiving, compelling us to confession. And now let's let it move us to a time of, of, of petition. And what I'd like to do today is I'd like to actually do this through song. I'd like to do this together as we sing. And maybe your petition to God doesn't fit with the words we're going to sing. Well, guess what? You can speak to God right here. You don't need to sing along. Um, you know, I, I was a worship leader for um, 10 years before being in the current role that I'm in now. So I might be a little bit biased here. But I was always frustrated when people said, you know, worship is just there to get our hearts ready to hear the word of God. I think it's the other way around. I think we hear the word of God to prepare our hearts to worship. That's, that's our response to, to the word of God. And so what we're going to do is we're going to respond now to the word of God. Um, can we stand together? And let, let's, let's, in light of what we've learned in John 20, let's, let's present, present our request. Say, God, breathe on me. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Help me to live for you from this day forward. Let's sing together. Say, breathe on me. Breathe on me, breath of God. Breathe on me. Breathe on me, breath of God. Breathe on me. I come alive, I'm alive when you breathe on me. I come alive, I'm alive when you breathe on me. Breathe on. 